Hello and welcome to Bornbrook's Week in Review. Now we um, have updated our podcasting thanks to our media editor SD Wicket and we're no longer just on YouTube but also on Spotify and hopefully later today on Podbean and whatever else you might listen to us dribbling on. Um, but anyway, I'm delighted as always to be joined by, of course, SD Wicket, as just mentioned. Sam, how are you? Good, Michael. How are you? I'm very well. Very good. We're recording at a, a reasonable time today. It's in the afternoon, which is, is much better than too late or too early, as we've been doing the last few weeks. I've, I've, I've had a day, you know. I've, I've had some breakfast and lunch, a little walk around. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm psyched up and I'm, I'm ready to go. Ready to look That's at about them. as much as you. Good, about as much as the government lets you do these days, I think. Um, are you drinking a pint of blood, by the way? That's a very red drink. It's a bit strange. Uh, no, it's uh, squash. I have, I, have a, uh, I have a insatiable thirst for squash at all times. I have the palate of a child. Fair enough. There you are. Um, an interesting combination with a cigarette, but there you are. Uh, joined also by Luke Perry. Luke, how are you? Uh, I am very well, cousin. My worst advice at the minute is a glass of water. Well, that's uh, don't lie. Yeah. What? <laughs> it's 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 factual. You can get snopes on it all you want. Well, Luke, since you're you're drinking plenty of water and you've got plenty of energy going on in the brain, we'll we'll start with you this week. And you've been um, focusing on the the largest story of the week, which of course has been the Chancellor's budget. What have you made so far of the budget itself and some of its coverage? Yeah, well, the, the budget was always going to be an important story, given what's happened over the last year. And the, the, uh, the key talking point is, is that um, nicknamed Scrooge Sunak has to uh, recoup um, a, a very large sum of money, which has been ploughed into the government's pandemic wish list, such as on Eat Up, Help Out and the furlough. And now the, the cost, which is accruing every month, currently stands at £344 billion, an absolutely absurd amount particularly for a country that uh, is currently not, not at work. So uh, to um, balance the book, so to speak, the, there's a tax threshold freeze. So 10 million more will be paying income tax. The uh, OBR says that taxation will be at the highest level since the 1960s. So before, before the time of Thatcherism, corporation tax is due to rise 6% in 2023. Perhaps, the, uh, perhaps another uh, key talking point is that the furlough has been extended un until the end of September, which is once again showing the government trying to just kick the can down the road. So the millions of people due to be officially unemployed won't, won't appear on the statistics for another few months, just delaying disaster. And uh, what the OBR has also pointed out is that the um, GDP growth slumped 10% in the year 2020, more than twice as bad since the 2008 financial crash. And it has a very, very optimistic um, outlook for the UK economy saying that the country will be back to a pre-pandemic level of growth and economic prosperity by the middle of 2022 which don't know what you guys think of it but uh, I think it's a bit, bit of a pipe dream. Well that's a bit of a pipe dream but of course the the other coverage by the OBR um, is slightly less positive in that UK debt according to the OBR is likely to reach at least 2.8 trillion pounds um, and that we won't have fully recovered from the financial hit of lockdown and other uh, COVID measures until perhaps 2026, which itself might be a bit um, of an early estimate. Sam, what have you made by, by uh, Rishi Sunak's announcements? Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a few things there. One, um, 
is um, with the government spending this enormous amount of, amount of money, it's again, it's it's indicative of the government's response and, to the consequences of their own actions, which is just to throw money at the issue. You know, um, when it when money is only a small factor of what people are suffering from here, it, it isn't just that they're strapped for cash; it's that, that they they aren't living a, a a life fit for a human. You know, they're cooped up in their homes. They're unable to socialize. They're, they're, you know, getting cabin fever, and um, yeah, money, money won't really fix that. But again, I, I'm just, I'm just blown away by that figure, uh, that that spending figure, and as well as that, with 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 furlough being extended past the proposed lifting of lockdown, it just tells me that um, another lockdown isn't isn't out of the question. Which I mean, yeah. which would just be a disaster for this country. Um, it's again. It's like it's like the like the, the 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 specter of death in the marketplace. I mean, wherever wherever the furlough scheme lingers, another lockdown isn't far behind. Mm. I mean, on on the point of money being thrown at the the problem of the virus and um, and sort of a lack of uh, forecasting into the impact this might have. The the government actually admitted before the second lockdown, um, the treasury admitted rather that it didn't forecast the economic impact of the second lockdown. I remember a parliamentarian standing up during one of the PMQ session asking what the forecast was and what sort of impact we might expect on the economy from another, uh, another lockdown. And the government had to admit, well, actually, there hasn't been a forecast. We have no idea, um, which has been the case in, in so many other areas, as we talked about on other episodes from public health. It was admitted yesterday, actually, in um, a response to a question put forward by Lord um that there has been no um forecast uh, into the impact of lockdown on dentistry on people's sort of health in terms of teeth um already pretty awful in this country as we see uh, especially for young people schools having to hire professional toothbrush cleaners or overseers um as parents are incapable of bearing that waste of responsibility um, so this is as you say another area where the government has failed to properly look into the impact of its actions just gone for it all guns blazing um and people seem to believe that with the vaccine rollout and um the the semi-promise that restrictions might come to an end at the earliest in almost 100 days that this is all over but actually i think a lot of the problems will come when lockdown ends whenever that may be and the economy is left to try and stand up um, without the support of the furlough scheme when that does eventually come to an end. And I think we'll see great difficulties in that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, um, the, the, uh, the budget was described by, uh, by Chris Sanger as um, three years of support followed by three, three years and more of pain. Um, so, so again, it, it's, um, the government's thinking here is immediate, not long term. Yeah, it, it's an interesting point that on, on the question of conservatism. Um, that from the very beginning, conservative sceptics of lockdown were criticised um, for pursuing a sort of policy idea which put older people at risk, since that's sort of against the whole idea of um, not only of protecting anybody in a community, but the general idea of um, of the the worth of generational wisdom and such things like this. Which is a fair point. Um, 
But we've seen throughout that the response to the virus has been completely anti-conservative, and I think this budget sort of epitomises that. It's been dubbed as a spend-now, tax-later budget, mm. which seems very much the opposite of any notion of conservatism. Um, very dangerous path. I mean, we're seeing a couple of years of, of spending of about £65 billion of business support, and after that, years of um, increased corporation tax, increased income tax of about £25 billion altogether. Mm. I think gloomy times are ahead. Well, I've, I've nev never, never really been the sort of conservative to, um, you know, push the rhetoric of, you know, uh, low taxes and that, and, and that sort of thing. But uh, no. I, I, I am the one who pushes the, the message of, of, of prudence and consideration and being careful about what you about you know, the day-to-day -day running of, of a country and and this is again it seems like there's a couple of things that they got over here one is an immediate almost band-aid solution and the other is to uh, keep the press happy which has been the government's uh shortcoming this entire time is it's they're so terrified of the press that they'll pass ludicrous uh, acts just to um keep that critique at bay yeah, I think one one point on that, actually, on keeping the press at bay, um, our press being as childish as it now is and, and as as bothered by personality politics really played on the fact that Rishi Sunak, regardless of the, the economic um, questions raised by the budget, offered a fantastic performance and that it was an interesting watch and that he looked suave and calm and all this gosh, as if anybody should care. Um, but a, a, an important point was made, I think constitutionally, um, that a large portion of the budget was later announced at the 5pm daily press briefing. Um, and people raised questions as to whether or not it was right for a chancellor to essentially sell their budget to the public, um, advertise its benefits uh, at such a briefing. A, a large step out of the normal procedures of a budget um, and one which I can't picture um, being too readily thrown away say, by the next budget. I think it's, it, it's quite a handy tool for a chancellor to be able to give a, an unquestioned essentially pitch since the media is not going to bite its claws um, for its budget. I've observed something and I'll, I'll pass this to Luke afterwards but um... With 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 Rishi is is one. There's been an uptick in in sort of tailored graphic design for his announcements, um, and two, the act like that it 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 tells me of a man who um, has his eyes on number ten. Yeah, Rishi is um, very very career driven, but aren't they all? And I was about to say on Curzon's point, we have a government that rules by uh, decree. Of course, we have a government that um, finances by decree as, as well. I mean, the ETAPS help out w w was just announced. 500 million of the public purse and um, Parliament, all their job to do, as they've done with the lockdowns, is just to vote it through. And uh, Sunak is, um, has gained some popularity from, um, from what he's done. He can um, position himself as a moderate by saying he didn't want the strictest of lockdowns, and he can say he saved everyone's jobs with the furlough. So, um, and of course, if you're in a position of Chancellor of the Exchequer, you, um, <laughs> your ambition doesn't stop there, does it? Not usually, no. Um, there is the question which is being um, sort of hounded on by the press at the moment of the 
uh, pay increases in public sector, um, such as in the NHS. I think nurses and doctors have had a 1% pay increase um, after being sort of heralded by the government as being the, the saviors of the earth. Um, uh, compared to, I believe, uh, something like a 3.4-3.5% pay increase for parliamentarians last year from an already uh, rather healthy-sized um, budget. What do you make of that? Is that a bit of a slap in the face? Um, or does it reveal the, the emptiness of the government's propaganda on the NHS? Or is it just a, a, a fact of reality considering the, the emptiness of our pockets? I, I think it was both showed the, uh, the virtual signalling the government gave towards the NHS. It was never going to back it up with any meaningful reforms. After a great pandemic, the NHS is, is, is just infallible. I think the 1% the, the pay increase, which the Tories would definitely know the press would hound them for that. It's, it's a case of um, funds being very scarce. The budget appears to be um, a continuation of, of the government's use of statistical assertions, basically numbers and figures put forward without any evidence it's it's i think the only reason why the obr can say the economy will be as good as it won't be by um, mid 2022 now another story this this week um which was uh, revealed by the press on on monday um which i suppose ties or at least is reported to tie um into financial problems is that of um britain's police stations now it was revealed that over the last 10 years half of british police stations were closed under conservative governments of course all of which stand at elections and pose themselves as being tough on crime and the defenders of law and order um i think it's final vindication of the fact that that is empty nonsense called tosh used to win elections um now this is always dubbed as being especially by the labor party who are incapable of properly opposing any matter, of being simply a matter of Tory austerity. When, for example, um, we had all this stick around uh, the lack of police officers last year and the year before, we were told that the only reason we have a decline in the number of police officers is because, again, of austerity, of fund-cutting measures, whereas this, and I think the question of police stations as well, is more a wider question of not money and the amount of resources, uh, but more the direction in which the government, um, either Labour or Conservative, believes the police should be travelling in, what sort of operation they are, whether they're ones which proactively try and um, prevent crime from happening, or simply a responding force like a fire service, which um, just acts or tries to act when something has already happened. Um, and I think the most important point that was missed by a lot of the press, so we saw the headline on the Mail on Monday, Justice in Retreat, half of Britain's police stations closed. Well, that's very interesting, but that suggests this is something that's new, when in fact it's not. The number of police stations has been declining massively since essentially the 60s, um, when Roy Jenkins, uh, as Home Secretary, issued a load of reforms in the, the Police Act of 1964, for example. Um, stations were forced to close down at this stage. Those which were reluctant to move um, had forced mergers inflicted upon them. Between 1990 and 2000, a little later, England lost 630 mostly small police stations, which is 
pretty much the amount that we've lost over the last 10 years as well. This is just a continuous act. It happens decade after decade under the Conservatives or under Labour, which essentially on this matter, like most, are exactly the same um, on police stations, on police officers, which is something we can talk about in a moment. Um, and it really is, as the Mail says, whilst it doesn't properly understand the matter, a retreat from justice. And I, I wonder how far this will go until, we, you know, maybe we have just four stations left in the country by the end of the, the tirade and, and um, no proper way of keeping criminals either to account or, of course, from preventing them from committing their acts in the first place. Luke, what do you make of this? Well, very awful news, but same old, same old. Peter Hitchens was talking about this in um, the abolition of liberty, of, of the closure of police stations, basically the, the removal of rural police stations, and now you can only find them in big towns and cities. That, that book, I think, was published before I was born. So um, it, it's it's just this... I don't know how the Tory party can, can say it's tough on crime, nor I can see how Labour claimed it's for social well-being when um, crime affects the um those on the lower incomes the most and i think now uh, the, the the excuse for it will be um budget savings as well as this new um culture of fighting fighting crime of being um, a response force when the, the window is already broken on the shop floor but even now the um the police doesn't seem to be a response force some constabularies are saying that they don't have the time or resources to investigate burglaries so what is the police for besides you know dancing on a, on a cliff edge to tiktok videos right yeah i was about to bring that up uh before we start recording i, I said you, you to a video that um uh made made me uh internally weep a little bit and it's some every, everything wrong with the police and this policy of um managed decline that both parties seem to just be on board on board with um yeah and in that video yeah, yeah these these police officers you know doing a little dance for tiktok for social media clout. Meanwhile, they're completely ignoring uh, a, a massive uptick in, in, in crime, especially in the capital. Um, and it, 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 it poses an interesting um, sort of rock and hard place predicament where, yeah, the police are severely underfunded. Their, their ability to command law and order is vanishing. The resources that they have access to are diminishing. But with that limited resources, they are doing the exact wrong thing they aren't going after crime they aren't going after burglars like you said luke they're um they're harassing members of the public for breaking innocuous covid regulations and they're you know uh, in, they're enforcing um authoritarian speech laws online this is true but I, it's not only it's not a question of where limited resources are placed or you know um a decline in ability to command authority i think it instead is a matter of willingness and directive um resource this is a, a, an often in fact always misunderstood point that actually the number of police officers in britain today is far greater not only generally but per head of population importantly than it ever was in the the period in which preventative foot patrols actually took place. Now, there are figures on this. In, in March 2018, which is pretty much the most recent figure, which is easily attainable, um, there were 185 police officers per 100,000 people. 185 per 100,000 people. In 
1930, when patrols took place regularly, there were 147 per 100,000 people. 1941, 135 per 100,000 people. 1951, 144. 1961, 163. It's not until 1970s that you actually get to a, a slightly higher level per 100,000 people of 197 police officers that that changes. But by the 1970s, of course, the uh, preventative system was being erased. Um, so we have plenty of resources. There are uh, a, a very suitable amount of police officers available to patrol the streets. The problem isn't the uh, question of resources as such. You could add another, as Hitchens always says, two million police officers onto um, the, the current registry books. And as long as they carried on simply whizzing by crime scenes in cars or sitting in offices filing paperwork, no difference would be made. It's only when they patrol streets and also by themselves, so they're not just chatting to a, uh, another officer, that they can really make a difference. And I think a, a large problem with this, actually, both in terms of police numbers and also police station numbers, is that of the Westminster bubble. You always hear politicians talk about the importance of the bobby on the beat, even though the, the bobby on the beat was abolished, as I say, by Roy Jenkins in the 60s and uh, an, an abolition which has been supported by every Home Secretary and Prime Minister since. Um, but actually, inside the large city train stations and especially in the area of Westminster, there are plenty of police officers about, armed in fact, yeah, which is yeah. the problem. Um, it's only outside of Westminster that the presence of a patrolling police officer is, to put it lightly, rare. And in, in Westminster, in terms of um, police station numbers, since that's what we're talking about, within just an eight square, uh, square mile radius, there are four police stations within Westminster. So the problem just isn't, it's not only not understood, it's not realised by people inside Westminster, um, and, uh, which I think is the cause of the laziness of the issue. And, and it's another example of the utter disconnect between Westminster and the rest of the country. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, there are, you know, that's Westminster, but there's certain areas such as Bath, um, which now has not a single uh, dedicated police station with front counters. Unbelievable that St. Albans uh, and Eli as well no longer has a single front-facing police station. It's an embarrassment. And when you read, I mean, one of the most depressing things about this, that there's a funny side and a depressing side. There are now, um, have been found at least two abandoned, abandoned sorry, police stations uh, in which uh, there now exist cannabis factories. I mean, that's amazing. That's a complete uh, sign of, of the, 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 the government's and the police's unwillingness to fight a war against crime. And also an on a conquered fortress. <laughs> well, it really is. And an anarchist group which has occupied a former London police station last year. That, I suppose, is the, the funny side of this story, but the, there's also a, a, a grim element to it as well. Um, and stories of, of people um, who have taken advantage of the fact police stations are closed and decided to either murder or bludgeon or attack or rob from or anything else. People right in front of the former stations, just to really rub the nose into the, the any notion that this country maintains any idea of, of law or justice. I mean, there's some, some examples that the mayor reported on this week of a homeless mother of a free, beaten to death opposite a police station that is now close to the public. In Birmingham in December, a cyclist was knifed to death on a common overlooked by a former station. On last Friday, a 19-year-old was stabbed to death near West London's Paddington Green Police Station 
which closed in 2018. Now, of course, this the fact it happened in front of the station isn't really worthy of note, but it is at the very least a rubbing in of the salt of the fact that in a country um, where the police no longer make any attempt to prevent crime, blood is quite literally spilling on the streets. It's it's symbolic. Yes. This has been made possible by because the police police force has become um, an urban white collar office job filled with um, paperwork, not necessarily going out onto the streets unless to dance for social media. And uh, it's also partly caused by um, the, the liberal reforms of the police, part, some of which were very overzealous that made fighting crime impossible, the, the Police and Criminal Evidence Act of 1984. Uh, I think it was described by, by someone, I can't recall the name, but that um, it's not the case whether the um, police convict someone of a crime it's whether the police have done any crimes in convicting someone of a crime yes. so the police have actually the incentive not to arrest people hmm. and although blood is spilling on the streets it, it saves the um the station a headache wherever that station may be well the problem as well we had we had the um this whole idea uh, of institutional racism um which is sort of furthers the problem which you've just talked of luke where um it's much easier now for a police officer to stay in the station, not because they might be harmed by the criminal, but because they might be harmed by the, the, the legal system itself. And of course, there have to be some measures to ensure that um, the police officers are acting properly. Um, but at the same time, police officers now are burdened by so much regulation that it's almost impossible uh, to act properly and I think one other problem of course that's this is the the impossibility of our position I think it's the same with grammar schools you say um, I think grammar schools in principle are a good thing um, if a conservative government were elected tomorrow a genuinely conservative government that is uh, not the the liberal joke that we currently have um, reintroduce grammar schools problem solved but that of course is not true because we have the whole problem now of, of families, especially to uh, poorer families, not reading to children, not sitting at the dinner table uh, and talking, just working their minds. Um, schools now which need professional nappy changes because parents don't take up these basic form of responsibilities, never mind the other ones of trying to challenge their cognitive functions. The same with this problem. Even if someone were elected who said, our criminal justice system uh, to the extent to which it exists as a joke, we need to throw it back to what it once was, where the police actually patrolled the streets. It's not as simple as clicking your finger and doing that. For one, we've got the problem you just mentioned, Luke, of the restrictions and the red tape placed on the police. Also, you've got the problem increasingly of the, the police officers themselves, because one of the other liberal reforms was lowering the entry requirements. I mean, people always talk about the fact that, uh, uh, I think it must have been in the 60s, women were allowed into the forces. That in itself isn't a problem. As long as, um, as, long as regulations and, and standards are maintained, that's not a problem. I'm sure there are um, many women who'd be able to get into the police force where I wouldn't be able to uh, for, for many factors. Um, but it's gone from a stage where you don't have to be that imposing of a figure to become an officer. Um, and that itself is a problem. You're supposed to be an authority figure patrolling the streets, deterring criminals from acting unlawfully. And if you're some dweeb like me, that's just not going to happen. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, another issue is si similar to the way that the government is, um, is held back massively by the press. 
the um, the police now increasingly are becoming more and more um, sort of tethered up to the the the, the, the cultural um, orthodoxy, where it is overwhelmingly um, metropolitan, progressive, and liberal. And um, like for, you have something like the McPherson report, for for instance, which which in its time was was beyond necessary after the the murder of Stephen Lawrence. But that's that's again that that's morphed into a police force who are so liberalised and who and their 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 approach towards tackling crime is so again as you said like a fire service that the the, the police are being held back from actually establishing order on the streets and and, and we're seeing it now. I mean, um, none none of us are a London based, but you don't need to be to see what's happening there. Yeah, that was by the way for context. The McPherson report is the the report which came up with the conclusion of institutional racism. I couldn't remember the name before, but that uh, for listeners is, is uh, where that problem or the accusation arose. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the, it's, it's, it's so far gone now, but one, one element which we can only hope, I don't think it will, but we can at least hope uh, will influence the public's mind on this and make them a little more skeptical when they read about lack of police funding and resources is actually the police's um, actions during lockdown where in in derbyshire not so far away from myself um dog walkers were were followed by um flying cameras or whatever they're called um organized by the police to make sure people weren't walking in uh hot spots whatever all this nonsense um and the willingness of police officers to approach people for being out of their house at the wrong hour for not the quote appropriate reason. And I think the reason for this, the same with the whole woke stuff that we're talking about and that we'll talk about in the next segment with sort of trigger warnings, but also hate speech is that it's very easy to, to approach someone um, for being out of their house at the wrong time. There's no problem with that. You're not going to, there's no threat from the person you're accusing. Um, however, that's not quite the case of a young gang of thugs who are smoking this or that and uh, bearing this or that weapon. Um, there's, another, there's, another, there's another issue of, of the law in that um, the police are essentially law enforcement. You know, um, the, the, whole, the whole idea of them being there to serve and protect is just, it, it's, all, it, it's, it, it's woolly, uh, it's, it's a layer of wool that goes over it. But what it really is, is law enforcement. And the laws we have in this country around speech, around, again, and around, around coronavirus are such that the enforcement of them leads the police down this darker route. Mm, that's true. And, uh, and another, say with cannabis, um, I think part of the reason the police are so lax on the matter now is because they know even if they apprehended and took to prison every single um, user or bearer of the drug, since it is a crime and can allegedly be punishable by time in prison, um, then it would get to the courts and the matter would be thrown out. There's been cases, famous cases, with high-profile figures who have been uh, accused of smoking this or that or possessing this or that drug, and the drugs have fallen out of their pockets whilst at court, mm. and they've still been let off. So I think, uh, actually, this is, this is an important point on the, the wider problem of the justice system uh, taking the matter slightly away from the police, that even if the police were to be doing their job properly, which, of course, at the moment they're not, um, there is the knowledge that the courts would then let them down and then the prison would let them down later by uh, letting people out early and allowing uh, prisoners to, to run the show rather than the wardens. So it's quite right. It's, it's a matter that is, um, 
seems it, well it's an iceberg this whole uh, escape of justice that the mail reports on is simply the tip but when you go a little further down you realize that it's a wholly larger beast yes well, the police have become a social services force not not a law enforcement if, if, if they fight if they find um people consuming drugs they say oh no don't worry just just don't do it again and th there's a case for um rehabilitation and forgiveness in um, society it's just not when um a, a crime is being committed and a justice needs to be done also it, it it depends on what's happening right i mean um if you want if you want evidence that the police are now just enforcers of you know liberal liberal um orthodoxy it's this it, it's the it's the gulf in response to um black lives matter and to anti-lockdown protests where if you if, there are videos of the anti-lockdown protests where skulls were getting cracked and you know elderly people were being thrown to the ground contrast that to um officers taking the knee while also being physically assaulted um you, you can see that, that that the especially especially the 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 met police under Cressida Dick and Sadiq Khan has become just, as I said, it's just become enforcement of an orthodoxy. Yeah, I think there's a, a good tie there onto the last topic. And I imagine that our rantings have led us slightly over time. So we'll, we'll move on to the last, um, which is around the matter of, of Black Lives Matter. Um, and Luke, you wrote this week that cancel culture has claimed another scalp. Um, that being of a... a, a a, a chat from where I'm from, Bernard Trent, um, on a Channel 4 programme, uh, Who Dares Wins, is it SAS? Yeah. Uh, who has been sacked um, for calling protesters who, as you're saying, were in many cases violent, or at the very least were defacing uh, national important monuments like the Cenotaph, like the Churchill statue, uh, etc., uh, calling them scum and also for having a critical eye uh, on the lockdown uh, and the policy pursued by the government. Sam, this is the topic you've been looking into. Um, and this, is, again, is only one, one element of it. You're going to talk about Dr. Zeus as well, who, of course, is uh, a, a terrible figure we now learn who must be stripped from our memories. So what have you been looking up this week? Well, the the, the Milton case has, has been has been uh, well, similar to the Gina Carano case where he, you know, he, he pissed off the right people and it was only a matter of time before something stuck. Um, there's not really too much to go into with that Ad Milton. He's, he's, he's left the show um, unamicably. He's taken shots at the show, calling it fake and staged and whatnot. But I really want to talk about Dr. Seuss here um, because really, I, I read the headline and my first response was, Dr. Seuss, really? Like that, th th this, this, this is where our attention is being driven towards Dr. Bloody Seuss. This is a children's author who wrote as you said, he he wrote about a cat and a hat. And he's it's so innocuous, and there's there's been six books that have um that have been that have been banned for supposed uh, bad imagery. eBay has banned people from reselling the books after the prices skyrocketed. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. eBay eBay has, has banned him from reselling the six books in in question. Um, there's a couple of things, a couple of roads to go down here, and and the, the first is being. Um, almost a, if you don't laugh, you'll cry approach of um, what is being portrayed as being inappropriate for kids and what is appropriate for kids. Um, so Dr. Seuss now is, you know, in the dustbin of history, he's been vaporized, um, yet uh, it, it, it's perfectly okay to teach kids in detail about 
about about sexual relationships and, and, and masturbation or um, a song like WAP or um, something or a film like Cuties, which, are, which not only portray kids in a, in a, in a, in a, in a grossly sexual light, but also um, exploit them. Um, that That's all fine. But I mean, Dr. Seuss, I mean, whose, whose books as a kid uh, taught me to love reading, you know, really. You know, I, uh, the, the, they're fun books to read and they're engaging and they, and for that, for that target age group, they're, you know, they're, um, they're really important books. Uh, the silver lining here is um, that as of today, uh, nine of the 10 top selling Amazon books are, are his. Good old Barbara Streisand effect, eh? <laughs> Found something it becomes more popular. Uh, it's a tradition on this podcast. The first story we have is always related to lockdowns. And the last story has now become dedicated to cancel culture. Pretty much. Yeah, bring in on the last, the, well, the last story had what Gina Carano and the Muppets, but I mean, I mean Dr. Seuss, I mean, God, who, who knew I, I became so extreme because I read Dr. Seuss when I was about two. It's, I know that the saying was true. Yeah. We'll be a generation of, of radicals, right? Or, or at least, the wrong sort of radicals right now. Nothing's happened. I mean, it's 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 almost like power being exercised for power's sake. In fact, I was I was more a reader of Roald Dahl, and I think he's been he's been whacked for. I think his family apologised recently, didn't they, for his anti-Semitism or something other, um, which I just rolled my eyes at. Um, there goes Disney with the anti-Semitism charge. <laughs> Blyton too. Sorry, Enid, Enid Blyton as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. Why is that? What's she done? I, 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 nothing. She's done nothing. Hasn't <laughs> I, I, I think. It was, I think it was she privately held conservative views. Crikey, we're done for. <laughs> I mean, Us three are toast. It's like, it's like the. the I, I always find that our, our stories then quickly diverge into sort of a a a, a, a layman's meta analysis of what of the situation, but like. This, it shows a, a trend of, of um, what's being put in front of children today, right? Um, and if you go back to, to writers like Beatrix Potter, Enid Blyton, Rodal, Dr. Seuss, they're, they're good children's books, they're good quality. You know, they, they, there's, there's, there's decent stories there. And now it's just, it's dross. It's like Ibram Kendi's anti-racist baby is, is, is now what's being plopped in front of them. Um, well, we say this every week, it's part of a permanent revolution where everything must be political and, and um, fall in line with the current status quo. That's I mean, why um, yeah. everything seemingly innocent to us, like the Muppets and Dr. Seuss, have all been culled. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Is, is, when, when, this, when this thing first became known to me around 2015, 16, um, this kind of cultural force, if you told me then that it would then it would eventually lead to Dr. Seuss being cancelled. I, I, I wouldn't have believed you. I mean, at the time, it would have been an Onion article, been a Babylon Bee headline. But the, the deaths of satire and um, just the general insanity of this all is... You can't predict the future now. No. It's like literally next week, any, anyone's a target. Pretty much. If, if Dr. Seuss can go, then... 
I'm, 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 I'm lost for If you don't laugh, you'll cry. <laughs> the, the, the thing that really gets me about this, that really, I mean, we're, what we're talking about here is actually such nonsense. It's like we say, the author of A Cat in a Hat, right, um, has been cancelled. It, it's, it's so boringly dross and just uh, ridiculous that it, it barely, it is barely worth talking about. But when you compare that to the second story that we talked about today, about the amount of police stations being shut, the amount of people being murdered in front of places where police stations once stood. This, you know, we've got a headline out of that from the mail, that's great. But at the next election, the Conservative Party will simply say, oh, we're going to be tough on crime, we're going to introduce this and that. Nothing will change. Decade upon decade, whether the Tories are in or Labour is in, will go down the same trajectory of increasing liberalisation and no effort to actually improve the legal system of this country. Yet everybody cares, and there's far more notice and attention paid to what Dr Zeus wrote. It's, it's deranged is what it is. It's completely the wrong focus. People are literally being killed because of the lack of real uh, justice in this country. And yet all we care about, all the sort of, you know, the, the, the scribblers of the, of the country and um, the, the, uh, the establishment types, all they care about is alleged racism by authors. And I think, I think the problem is probably that, what we talked about earlier is the Westminster bubble notion. Um, or not necessarily any Westminster, but a sort of a wealthy bubble, that most of the writers in this country, most of the people who chair the think tanks and the sort of the, the movers of power are themselves comfortable. Mm -hmm. They support lockdown because they have nice gardens and a good reserve of wine. Um, and because um, they've got nice walks nearby, they have plenty of cash, very little to worry about. I think it's the same with this. They don't fear uh, crime that much because the police station it probably still exists in their area so instead they walk to the bookshelf and see that Roald Dahl once said this or that about this or that and go mental about it and because they're the ones with the the printing press um, they're the only ones who are heard and it's such a it's such a world turned upside down load of nonsense that it really is um, just frustrating to read it. The, there's two things to to go to go, to go on here that that give me uh, a, gl a glimmer of hope, and uh, the first is saying that uh, I think Rod Little said, which is that these people have power without hegemony. The numbers aren't on their side, and every basically every general election t shows you that. Um, the 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 other is that is um is a uh, if you guys have been following uh, Matthew Goodwin, he's um, he's great for uh, collecting data on how people think in this country. And the public support for this sort of mentality is so low that it, it, it's concentrated entirely within the, again, the realm of, you know, dare I say it, privilege, which, which, which it is, you know, in, in every um, objective metric. But these people don't really have um, majority support among, among the public. No. It's, it's a very elitist, very coddled view of crime combined with sort of the human condition to always look for problems mm. because they live such comfortable lives. The worst things they can find are trigger warnings and um, Kermit the Frog being Pepe and all these horrific neo-Nazi offences. And that's the ordinary people struck with closed down police stations, rampant crime, knife crime through the roof. It's... It's that disconnect, which I think has been the theme of this episode. Such a good point. Such a good point. We'll uh, we'll call it uh, the great disconnect. Good idea. Good idea. I think I think actually that's that's uh, a good point to to close that line on. I think you know that 
that draws draws the, uh, the, the three themes together of a disconnect between those making the decisions and those who they affect. Um, and I think on that, we'll go on to the sort of closing issues and some of the uh, more minor stories which we've been keeping an eye on through the week. And I know, Sam, that you had one which you wanted to draw to our attention. Well, I, I've been keeping my this for a couple of months now. and It's a story of, um, of uh, New York's uh, Imperator-in-Chief Cuomo, who um, throughout the throughout the, 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 the torrid year that was 2020, um, paraded himself around, around the US as the, the great hero. He, he, he wrote a book about how heroic he was in, during the crisis. Uh, of course, it later transpired that he, he shipped uh, thousands of elderly residents to their deaths in care homes. Uh, and now he, um, once the darling of the, the democratic establishment has is now being uh, gently pushed under a locomotive train, um, so, so to speak, um, as accusations of sexual misconduct are coming out against him. Now, it's too early to really comment on that, but look at the, the difference in response between accusations against Cuomo and against Biden, which um, as soon as it became clear that Biden was going to be the, the nominee going into the election, those accusations basically vanished. Whereas with, with Cuomo, it, it seems to me another case of in establishment politics, politics is as politics does. And now that his, now that his, his use to the party or to the, to the establishment is expired, he can now be discarded. Could it also be a case of the Democrats trying to get rid of dead wood? Because as you say, he did ship many COVID patients to elderly care homes, and that's probably the biggest scandal in the US for, yeah. for, for now. And, and, and the crux of their the crux of their election push was that Trump had mishandled the, the, the coronavirus pandemic, which I mean, yeah. maybe he did, but um, yeah, so, so now that he's of no use, he can be uh, kicked to the curb. Part of the dirty game of politics, I suppose. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a profession bereft of morals. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite right. Do you else have any uh, have any lingering miscellaneous stories? No, I'm just preparing for a next week's lockdown story and next week's who's going to get cancelled segment. <laughs> Saving my energy for that, that well, roller coaster. We should maybe start a listeners' competition to sort of predict. The, yeah, guess the, <laughs> the overwhelming factors of the episodes. Although I think we'd lose a lot of money on that. Although since we're coming to the end of the since we're coming to the end of the episode, talking about bets. Uh, listeners of last week's episode will remember the the preamble before we got into the topics about Sam's smoking habits. We've mentioned it today, and uh, Luke sent me a message before we began talking uh, to actually start a bet. Now, I thought I was going to win this one. Luke predicted three cigarettes. I said, that few must be five. You smoked, Sam, five, three, sorry, within the first about 20 minutes, but you got so into the last two topics that... It actually petered out, and Luke has won today. So Luke, I, I should, well, I, sh I should add, I should add that, that I don't smoke this this often in my normal. <laughs> it's when I'm it's when I'm in Zoom calls that I I, I have to I have to do it to keep feeling normal. But uh, yeah, congrats, Luke. Um, you win <laughs> you you win a uh, bottle of Dom Perignon. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> well deserved. Obviously, um, 
coming coming out of uh, the Bournemouth past. Um, All right. Uh, well, we'll your subscription, we'll, Manny. We'll review that. Um, anyway, so as we said at the beginning, you can you can now listen to this if you. Well, I suppose you already have listened to it if you got to this point, so well done. Um, but we're available on Spotify, on YouTube, and hopefully within the next few days we'll be um, available on other platforms too. So thanks as always for joining us. Enjoy the rest of the week. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye.